Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm getting ready for the snowstorm coming. Uh, I hope you guys are looking forward to it, too. Um, have you ever heard of the Freshman 15? <laughs> this was, when I went to college, you know, we talked about the Freshman 15. You're going to gain 15 pounds your freshman year. And the reason why, at least at our college, was you were required as a freshman to live on campus, and you were required to have a meal plan. So they didn't want the freshmen coming in to try and save their money and then starve to death. So it's like, no, you have to, to do this. Well, our cafeteria was awesome. I mean, it was, it was actually a very unique, I think, cafeteria. You could walk in and you have uh, a pizza station every day, um, a sandwich station every day where you can pick like rye bread. I mean, all the stuff, right? And then they had specials every day, enchiladas, flan, crawdads one day. I mean, it was really good. I think the guy who ran it was a real chef. Um, and so I had uh, this thing called FOMO. Maybe you've heard of FOMO. Fear of missing out. I had FOMO because I have always loved food. And so, so now with the meal plan, it's prepaid. So you have a certain number of meals that you can eat during the semester um, and you can't get the money back. So, I mean, it's prepaid. Um, and I always got the max one where I had all the meals I wanted. And so they were already paid for whether I used them or not. And so for me, I was going to use them, right? I mean, I, if I missed them, then, oh, did you hear there was this and the, oh man, I missed out. And so I seriously did have FOMO. There was one Sunday a month where they had a bloody tri-tip. We called it bloody Sunday. And it would go around like, hey, Sunday's bloody Sunday. Don't forget, we'll meet there at 11 in the cafeteria. But I had some friends who would sleep in, right? And, and, and. You know, I'd go and, hey, I'm going up to the cafeteria. You want to come? Now I'm going to sleep. I'm like, when are you going to eat? Later. I'm like, I didn't get it. So I would go up and eat, right? And that was part of it, though, too, is you go in, you're like, do I have a sandwich? Or do I have the enchilada? You know, I'm like, I have a little bit of all of it. So again, freshman 15. Now, with a similar concept, do you have righteous FOMO? It's actually in the Bible in Romans 5, so you can turn there. Righteous FOMO is, is what I titled this sermon because kind of like that with the food, it's prepaid and it's there. Why not use it? Why not? We have these things that God gives us through Jesus, prepaid, right, costs us nothing, and they're there. But so many times we as believers miss out on these things that God has for us, right? He's got tri-tip and flan, you know, that's one of my favorites, and sometimes like Sundays. I mean, he has all these things that he wants to give us, and we're like, I'm sleeping in, right? Or whatever it is, we get wrapped up in life, and we miss out on these great things that God has for us. And so we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 5. Now, so far in Romans, we've, we've seen kind of one big thing. We are justified by faith, saved by faith. And, and Paul, the writer, has said this kind of over and over, but different ways. Today, we start to see a little bit of the benefits of this. So he begins this one of, because you're justified by faith, now here's some things. Here's some truths, and here's some results in your life because of those truths. So look at Romans 5, starting in verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the theme of what we're seeing in, these chapter, in this chapter today, that we have peace with God. So since, right, there's some, some words to pay attention to. Whenever you study scripture, remember, we're looking at context. The Bible doesn't mean what you want it to mean. It means whatever the writer intended it to mean when they wrote it, 
right? And the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to write it for a reason to somebody, hoping that they would understand something and do something. So we don't get to read it and go, I think it means this. It means what they meant it to mean. And so words like therefore, right? Now he's going to say something referring to what was before, therefore since, or because we are justified by faith. Here's the whole point. You were justified by faith, so we have peace with God through Jesus. And now he's going to outline that. Let's look at the rest of these verses, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, as I read this, I, I feel like Paul had the same heart for his readers, FOMO. I, I don't want you, right? He says in verse 11, more than that, I mean, it's like he keeps piling on. There's also this and there's also this, and it's so great. Don't miss out on what God gives us. So what do we see? Verse 2, faith in Jesus gives the believer access to God's grace. Grace. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to know this word. If you're not, you really need to know this word. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is a gift that you didn't deserve, you didn't earn. Grace is the opposite of religion. Religion tells us what to do to be right with God. Grace is Jesus did it all and then just gives you. That's grace. And so because we're justified by faith, belief that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, not just spiritually, but bodily, physically rose from the dead, because of that, we are now made right with God and we have access to his grace. Right? It's like this gate. It's like we're sheep in this small little pen and it kind of stinks um, and the gate's left open. And now we have access to this great field and this string, you know, that's when you have access to God's grace. Go through the gate and go enjoy all these free gifts. Or we just stand behind the fence and look through like, that would be cool. I'm like, well, the gate's right there and it's open. Just go through it and go enjoy what God has for you. Because we have access to God's grace, his unmerited favor. Now, first, to really get how great this is, let's look at our state before. And this comes up, you see, in verses 6 through 10. But there's several words, right? It says, before salvation, we are weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God. That's who we were. And if you have not surrendered to Jesus as Lord, this is who you are. But good news, you don't have to stay there. Jesus died for you too and wants you to have access to him. But this is what we were. This is, last week we talked about this uh, total depravity. That, that in ourselves, we are dead and separated from God. I mean, look at these words. Paul pulls no punches. We are weak, 
right? We're not like on the grow. God doesn't wait for us to show, ooh, they've got some good morality. I'll, I'll die for them. I'll choose. No, we're weak, meaning really weak. We are ungodly, unrighteous, not good with God, sinners. Everybody is born a sinner. Now, something changes, and this is important. When we become believers, we are never actually called a sinner again. We're called a saint. We will still sin, so don't think that we become perfect. But something changes in our relationship with God. He, he doesn't look at us as sinners anymore. And here's the big part. We are enemies of God. In those verses, we are enemies of God. This is part of the, the theme of these verses, because it begins, because we are justified, we have peace with God. Why do we need peace? Because we were his enemies, right? Because we were his enemies, what do we need? Reconciliation. And that word is used three times at the end of these, these verses. Reconciled, made right, right? Enemies, all of a sudden, now we're friends, and honestly, we've got more than friends. And so that's the theme of all this. So it begins with where we were, but because of faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. That's a big deal, right? Peace with God. Maybe you struggle with, with uh, viewing God like your dad, and it depends on how your dad was. But, but may, some parents, and, and I've seen this, some parents kind of seem to like punishing their kids, it's like, you know, they're waiting for him to mess up so they can, I don't know, lock him in their room or whatever. Yeah, some parents are like, um, and so sometimes we think God is that way. He sees us, those who have faith in him, his children, and he's like, he's waiting for us to mess up so he can do something. That's not it at all. Peace with God means peace with God. He's now the parent that looks at us and says, I want to give you everything good. Sometimes that means discipline. Because he loves us, right? And parents, if you've been a parent, you know sometimes discipline is a really good thing to, to protect your kids, to lead them the right way. That's God. Because we have peace with God, we are close to him. Total change. Now, because we have peace, what do we do? Verse 2. I'll just start again. Uh, through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Sometimes when I read, I underline, when I read this, these verses, I underline like everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's all so good. But right here, so we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What does this mean? The, uh, this word rejoice might actually, I mean, we think of like, yay, re rejoice, which yes, but it's more of like boast. This word actually means more of a, a brag. It means confidence. Head up high. It talks about your neck, actually, the way this word means. Your neck is up. You're confident. That's what this word talks about. So because we have peace with God, we live with a God-given confidence. We are confident in him because hope, biblical hope, is a guaranteed reality, right? Biblical hope isn't like right now we have this hope of a white Christmas, Maybe it'll be, maybe it won't, right? Uh, we're going to go to Colorado. We hope there's snow there, maybe, right? Hope in God, it's always hope. Just like last week, we said faith is in God's word, what he said, and what he said he will do. So hope is a guaranteed reality. It is confidence in a guaranteed reality. And what is our hope here? The glory of God. The hope that we have is that, one, Jesus is still in control. We see that through here. But that he's coming back, and when he does, he's going to set it all right. That's our hope. I mean, I love the Advent reading. Uh, thank you, Siminski's. was perfect. I mean, it talked about the joy of our hope, looking forward to Jesus coming back. And when he does, he fixes it, right? Things are going to be the way they're supposed to be. We're going to be the way we're supposed to be. Sin is going to be removed. 
Judgment will happen. But we live with this God-given confidence. And this is the, the piece that I just have been praying that, that we would get, this confidence piece. So uh, when I was in high school, I was a, a wrestler. And I remember, if you've ever watched it, whatever, uh, whenever it was like two before my turn, you'd get up and you'd start stretching and you'd be walking behind all the other players, you know, wrestlers sitting there. And the other, the person you're going to wrestle is doing the same thing on the other side. And so there's some of this looking, right? <laughs> you know, there's, and, and it, we normally knew something about the person we were going to wrestle because coaches told us whatever. We knew their record. They knew if they, we knew if they were any good or they were strong. And so if I'm looking across and that person was strong, hard to beat, I'm not sure. I was really nervous, you know, and I don't know if you've ever had that so nervous that you get fatigued, but I'd be really nervous. What's going to happen? And then go out and wrestle the match. Now, if it was somebody who I knew was weak, right, they hadn't wrestled very much, they hadn't, then I, I felt different. You know, I was strutting a little more, you know, looking at the back, you know, it, right? I, you know, but then I was thinking, I didn't do that, um, maybe once. But, but then my thinking was different. Now I'm thinking, what records can I set? Um, and I wasn't good enough to set records, you know, because it was like, you had to be good over long term, and I wasn't that good. But there was one record I could get, maybe the fastest pin, because you just have to do that once. And so I remember a couple matches, I'm like, I'm going to get the fat, and I never did. But, but it was different, right? And, and I think a little bit, that's the feeling we should have with this God-given confidence, not self-confidence. What I'm talking about was kind of self-confidence. With us, it's God. Because he's the one that's got it. He's the one in control. So it's almost like we're doing this and then he goes and wrestles the match. Or, or better yet, maybe we're a football team and he's a 10-foot tall you know, running back. And all you got to do is just hand him the ball and watch. And he's going to score a touchdown every time. I mean, that's the confidence we have because we can't lose. Because the hope is that Jesus is in control now and that he's going to return. And we're going to get glorified bodies. The glory is his glory. But because we're united to him, it's our glory too. That sounds selfish, but it's not. It's us, sin removed, a new body, perfect relationship with God. I can't wait. But that is what our hope is in. That's why we can walk with confidence in him. Okay, so, so far, access to God's grace by faith gives us hope and joy. And remember, that joy isn't just, yay. I mean, it's a, it's a confidence. Um, and so, where do we start? All right, so I hope right now you're like, okay, I have access to all these things. Grace, what are those things? I have some FOMO now, because what are these things? What's going to be in the cafeteria when I walk in? Um, let's begin, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. So what's this first one? That we can rejoice during suffering. Okay, everything was good so far. Now we can just tune out a little bit because part of the benefit of God's grace is that we're going to suffer? That doesn't sound very good. And, and there's a lot of, of churches, right, and, and teachers who will say, if you're a Jesus follower, you should never suffer. If your faith is strong enough, you'll be healthy, wealthy, everything will be good for you, right? If your faith is strong enough, you'll get that promotion. If your faith is strong enough, the cancer will go away. I, I mean, all these things. The truth of Scripture, when we understand it, is we will suffer. But the benefit of God's grace is that when we suffer, we can suffer well. And God produces things in the suffering, and it's good. So we can rejoice in our suffering. Again, that same word, what's rejoice mean? It means go through it with a God-given confidence. Right? 
So with God-given confidence, we can walk through suffering. We can walk through trials. We can walk through trouble because he wins. I mean, it kind of comes down to that. God wins. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And now we're carrying it out, and there are real battles in our lives. There really are. Battles with sin, relationships with kids. All, there are real battles. But the war is won. Jesus won for us. And so remaining confident in God through suffering produces, first thing, endurance. Endurance. The ability to patiently persevere. So part of God's grace is the perspective, okay? When, when we enter into that field, part of the grace he gives us is a different lens to view the world, perspective, and specifically perspective on our suffering so that when we suffer, because you will, in fact, the Bible says you will suffer, and when you do, we can endure, meaning go through it patiently. If you're like me, when suffering starts, like, you just want it to end, right? right? When I get a headache, where's the Tylenol? Right now. You know, Callie's like, I don't like drugs. I'm not going to take it. I'm just going to endure the headache, not me. Um, end the suffering now. But what we have here is some of those sufferings that we'll go through, they, they can't be over right away. Or God wants to do something in us. And so he's not going to take it away right away. So we can confidently endure over time. We can go through the suffering. Instead of often we as believers have this attitude, just end it, right? And then in our prayers, God, end the suffering now. End it, end it. Please end it. Pretty please end it. Change this right now, please. Which is okay to pray. But what about also, God, give me confidence in you as I go through this. Give me faith in you. Give me joy and a love for that person, whose person, whatever it is. Can we pray differently? God, do, have you ever prayed this one? God, this is, this is not good. What do you want to do in me? I pray that you will do in me what you want to do. That's a different prayer. And in that, then you're a little bit more open to what is God going to do, and you can endure with confidence whatever it is. 1 Peter 2, 23, Jesus gives us the example. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You know how many times I've used this verse when counseling somebody about suffering, specifically about unfair treatment, right? My, my spouse, my employer, the government, whatever. I mean, go down the list of who's treating me unfairly. Well, Jesus, the only perfect person to ever live, God in flesh was beaten, right? The crown of thorns on his head, blindfolded and struck and said, prophesy, who hit you? You know, made to carry the cross, finally hung on the, like when he endured that, he could have said, angels, finish it. He's God in flesh. He could have just snapped his fingers and it'd be done, over. Instead, as he's on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He's our example. Have you ever suffered like that? Because I know I haven't. But how did he suffer? This is huge. By, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's how he did it. He placed himself in God's hands. God, you see and you will judge if judging is right. Or you will forgive if forget, you will do what's best. And so I just trust you with it. There's so much freedom in that, right? I want to get justice. I mean, I'm one of those people. I want to fix it. I, but no, I can trust him because he'll do it perfectly. In fact, if I go for the justice, whatever, I'll probably do it wrong. 
And he's like, well, then I'm not going to do what I was going to do because that would have been better. We just trust, Jesus trusted him. That's how we can suffer. This is one of the reasons I wonder why the American church is fairly apathetic and weak. We don't have real persecution. It might be coming, but we don't have real persecution that, that, that pokes us and, and makes us endure. And so that's why there's a piece of, if it comes, it could be a good thing for God's people, for the church, for the kingdom. It could be a good thing. Now, don't pray for that. <laughs> I mean, the Bible tells us to pray for peace, right? It doesn't say ask for the suffering, but when it comes, I think he'll, he'll walk through it and he'll do some things in us, right? But still, we do have sufferings. We do. We have relationships. We have things going on. But as we endure those, God does something. Uh, I, I picture a diamond, right? How do you get a diamond? I think it's coal under pressure for a long time, right? Uh, that, that's what God wants to do in us, right? That when we go through pressure, we endure it because that's what tribulation there means. It means pressure, that it's pushing down on us and we endure. And then, you know, I remember Superman when I was a kid, he grabbed a piece of coal and he squeezed it. And then he like blew away the dust. Maybe you don't remember that. And a diamond was left. Anyway, that's what God wants to do with it, right? Allow you to be squeezed and then blow away the dust. And there's this diamond, this jewel that is you, that is us, because it produces something else. Number two, this is uh, uh, verse four. And endurance, meaning if we go through with confidence, endurance produces character. And character produces hope. But that second one, character. Character is tested, proven, and trustworthy faith. That's what character is. So we want character, but character is something that's tested and proven. So it's after you go through that pressure some and you endure with faith, then you get character. If, if when the trials come, our immediate reaction is, right? It's just freaking out. What, then, then we're not, God's not doing what he wants to do. And so next time a trial comes, same thing happens. We freak out. We bawl. We cry. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. You know, change it, whatever. That's not character. Character is then the next time it happens, I've been through this. We can do, and maybe this one's harder. <laughs> but I've been through the smaller one. I can get through this one. That is character. Uh, practiced faith. <laughs> Here's the picture that comes to mind. When our kids were little, we got them these little quads, and, and uh, we saw a video the other day where we were watching the kids down on the quad, and they were both on it together, and it got stuck really bad. Um, it's like, oh, I should run down and help them. No, let's just see what they do. You know, and we're watching, they're, you know, messing around, and then finally Lydia gets off, and Kayla's driving it, and Lydia starts pushing it, you know, and we just, watch, you know, they figured it out. Um, and, you know, all the equipment things we've had always have troubles. Um, and so our kids have learned how to make them work or work around it. And so now Lydia, who's 17, has a Jeep that's kind of a piece. And as group started on Tuesday night, she calls, it's overheating again. So, well, where are you? I just turned on to Stephanie. I'm like, turn into the Latrogna's house. <laughs> you know, they live right there. I'm like, just go in there. But she, you know, she wasn't frazzled. It was just like, eh. <laughs> I've been through this before. It's over, you know, kind of like that with us. As we endure, the next thing comes, it's like, yeah, been through it. God will show up. God will do it. I have hope and confidence in him. That's character, which goes to the third one in the same verse, hope. We already said, hope is a confident assurance and a guaranteed reality. That's what hope is. We have this because of who we are in Christ. Because he wins. And verse 5, 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame, meaning if your hope is in Christ, it will work out, I promise. It's not this hope and then it doesn't come to pass. It will not put us to shame because he will show up. He will do it. Uh, he is, it says here, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So what's, what's the point here? We can trust him with the future because he already proved it in the past, right? He showed his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. If he did that and then we're saved and he pours out the Holy Spirit, will he not show up now? Will he not be here this time and next? Every time. He did that. He withheld nothing. Jesus went to the cross, meaning, is, you think he's unaware of what you're going through? You think he has, he's unable to do something about it? This is what he's done, and that love is in your heart, you, meaning you know this. If you belong to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you know it, right? Sometimes we struggle with walking in it and living in it, but you know this is true. Because, verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Don't skip over this little phrase, at the right time. Do you realize that God, when he spoke the world into existence, everything, he had a plan. He knew Adam and Eve were going to sin. He knew you were going to be born. He knew you were going to be a sinner. He knew at the right time he was going to send Jesus. He, he had a plan from the beginning. No surprise. You know, I, I think the angel or the, the star of Bethlehem, um, even that is just an example, right? Because if you know anything about astronomy, which I don't, um, for that to work out, it would have had to have been programmed in at creation. So God knew. Uh, when Jesus was going through his ministry, uh, remember they were at the wedding, and his mom is like, hey, they're out of wine. And he's like, woman, what does that have to do with me? Uh, and that was actually a term of respect. Um, but, he said, and, but what he said is, it's not yet my time. It's not, and you'll see that over and over in the Gospels, where Jesus says, it's not my time yet. It's not my time yet. But at the Lord's Supper, he's sitting there with his disciples, and he says, the time has come. At the right time. It is time now. God had a plan. He worked out the plan. Jesus showed up, did exactly what he planned to do, and he died at exactly the right time. You think he's out of control? Absolutely not. And he's returning at the right time. And he knows when. But he's going to return at the right time. Verses 9 through 11. It says, Since, therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now shall we be reconciled. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What's that word repeated over and over? Reconciliation. It's the same point, just said differently. We were his enemies, and he, reconciled, he, he brought us together as the mediator through his blood on the cross. No other way. Grace, free gift. We are now made right with him, and because of that, we now have peace with him, and he wants to give us, the, again, grace. All the things that he has to give, he wants us to enjoy. And we should have some FOMO. 
right? Because we talk about it all the time, this abundant life. That's our mission, connecting people to the abundant life only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. The abundant life is not one of prosperity. It might be if God wants to do that in and through you, but it is one of joy, peace, hope, all these things in him. And if you are missing out on those, you are missing out. But God wants to do this in you. So, so I mean, that's my encouragement here. Realize this is true. And so as you are going through life, surrender to him. Just trust him maybe a little more, right? Go through this next trial a little better, trusting him a little more. And that faith muscle will grow. And he will produce in you these things, right? Character, hope. And then part of this rejoicing, part of this confidence is that we talk about it. Right? The scripture says, be ready to share the hope that is within you. Because people are going to ask, when you live this way, when you suffer with joy and hope and God-given confidence, then people are going to look at you like you're weird. They're going to go, what's up with you? And boom, now we are ready. Be ready to share the hope that is within you. Be ready. So as we move to worship, There's a lot in these verses. (laughs) But what has the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, what has he spoken to you? What what has he poked? What is in your life maybe that you need to give him? And if you're here and you have not placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, let today be the day. Let today be the day where you say, I want this. I have FOMO, right? (laughs) After reading this, I want in. I'm going to be in the back right. Come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. And you you can have access to all of God's grace. Lord Jesus, all I can say is thank you. Um, As I read through these verses, it really swells my heart. Um, I want to walk in a way that glorifies you, but these verses also tell me you accept me because of Jesus, not because of how good I am, Um, because my strength is weakness. In, In myself, I am ungodly, but yet, Jesus, you died. You have made us right with you through your blood. Thank you. Thank you for reconciling us. God, I do pray, if we have a past, um, fathers or whatever, and we view you incorrectly, we view you as a judgmental God on us, I pray that you would change that. That that we would change to see you as the father. I mean, I think Christmas is great for this, that that we can see you as the one who gave the gift of his son, who would die. What, What will you withhold from us? Nothing, your word says. And I pray that we would see you as that father, the one who loves us and wants to give us all good things. And that it would stir in us confidence, hope, character, and joy. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.